All right, well, it is my uh, privilege to introduce to you, uh, for many of you, someone who doesn't need an introduction, Dr. Bruce Blakey. Let me ask a, a question. How many people um, have started attending Believer's Fellowship after uh, Bruce left? Raise your hand. All right, so, that, so these are the guys that I need to give a little introduction. The rest of you know him very well. Um, of course, Bruce is married to Roberta Blakey. Uh, they have three sons, Bobby, Bill, I believe he's going by now, or Billy to us, and Ben. Uh, Bruce is currently serving as a missionary in California. No, no, he's come back as a missionary to Texas. Okay, we, we need missionaries here too. Um, no, he is serving on the pastoral staff at Huntington Beach Compass Bible Church there in California. Uh, with his two sons, Bobby and Bill, and then his other son serves as a pastor as well in Boise, Idaho. So we are excited to have him here. Of course, he served here for 25 years faithfully, uh, and he's back to again faithfully bring us the word. So please join me in welcoming Bruce Blakey. Okay, well, let's take our Bibles and open to 1 Peter chapter 5. It's great to be here with you uh, this weekend. Uh, you know, I've had the opportunity, the privilege to speak in a lot of different uh, places, but the one place I always wanted to speak the most, I'd look forward to the most, was speaking to the men at Believer's Fellowship. So this is a real treat for me uh, just to be here and to see you guys and to be encouraged by what the Lord's doing in your lives and in the church here. These are exciting days at Believer's Fellowship, right? Yeah, now you got rid of that old guy. I mean, look at all the new guys that have come in since you got rid of the old guy. So this is good, this is progress. This is advancing the kingdom here. So I want to talk to you today about resisting the enemy, resisting the enemy from 1 Peter chapter 5, Uh, verses 8 and 9. So let me just read those for us as we get started. It says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. That's what we're going to look at uh, today. Our church in California supports a couple of connected ministries in Tokyo, Japan. Uh, the Megumi Bible Church, and the Japan Bible Academy. The Academy is part of uh, the TMAI family that some of you might be familiar with. And uh, Tokyo is the largest city in the world. But there's very little uh, Christian influence there. And so we're interested in supporting this ministry there and helping to see it grow. And we had a young lady in our church uh, who uh, we wanted to send over there to help serve in their, in their ministries. Her, her parents were born and raised in Japan. Uh, they moved to California. He's been pastoring a Japanese church. She's been part of our church for a number of years and has uh, had a tremendous influence in discipling women and, and reaching out to new people in the church and helping them get connected into the church. And we thought she would be a great person to send over to Japan. She speaks the language. And, uh, and not only could she help disciple women in the church and help with uh, the re- outreach of the church, 
but she went there to speak English or teach English as a second language. And she's already done that, gone through two rounds of classes with people, and she teaches the classes at the church, and she uses the Bible as the curriculum. So uh, we're very excited that she's there and for the opportunities that she has to do that. But about a month after she arrived earlier this year, uh, the pastor uh, had to step down because he had morally disqualified himself. So the church has been in a bit of turmoil, and uh, people have been talking, and groups have been meeting and discussing things. And because it's a small church, she's aware of all, all of this stuff that's going on because she's involved. And my wife actually kind of discipled her to prepare her to go and be a part of this. And so we stay in contact. They have regular Zoom meetings. And we had a meeting with her uh, recently, and she was telling us about all of this stuff she's hearing people talk about in the church. And she was, you know, very saddened by all of that. And uh, we told her that there are people saying the exact same things at our church in California. But she's not aware of, she wasn't aware of all that because it's a bigger church and she's not involved in those kind of conversations. But we're having the exact, people say the exact, that shocked her. But we told her, we explained to her, the reason is it's because we have an enemy. We got an enemy and he's, he's at work. And that's what our passage is talking about. There is a powerful enemy who doesn't want us uh, to do well, and he is active. He is powerful. And it says here that he's looking for someone to devour, to devour. Uh, that word means to swallow down or to gulp down. It's the verb that's used in, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to describe the great fish swallowing Jonah. Yeah, wow. Wow. So uh, that's, what, that's what the devil is looking to, to do. It's a word that speaks of the total destruction of the victim. Satan's aim isn't merely just to harass people or to injure people. His true desire is to destroy people. And Satan wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your family. And he wants to destroy this church. That's what he's all about. That's what he does. And so Peter writes these words to equip the readers, like us, on how to resist this enemy. And to resist means to stand against him, to stand against the devil. It's a, it's a military metaphor. Uh, You've got to take your stand in opposition to the devil. You don't need to be fearful. You don't need to run you just need to resist. Resist. And that same word is used in James 4, 7. It says resist the devil. And the same word is used in Ephesians 6, 13. Every time we get instruction about how to deal with the devil in the New Testament letters, the word is resist. Resist. So the question is how? How do we resist uh, the devil? And Peter here provides three answers for us on how to resist the enemy. That's what we want to look at here today. So go back to the text and look at the first part there of verse 8, where it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. 
So if you want to take notes today, and uh, God bless the man who does take notes at a men's breakfast, uh, you know, blessed is the man who takes notes. Uh, point number one would be maintain a watchful eye. Maintain a watchful eye. The enemy is always at work. So you and I, we have to be always alert. And it uses the word sober-minded. That's a word that speaks of mental alertness. It means to be clear-headed. It's one who's thinking clearly, thinking rightly. You can't be intoxicated by the, uh, the allurements of this world. You have to have the inner strength to refrain from anything that would dull your alertness. And, and you might think of things that could do that, things that you could waste your time on that just dull your mind and, and take away from your alertness. You must develop a spiritual discipline to avoid the irresponsibility and self-indulgence that's so common in our world today. You have to be in a state where you can evaluate things correctly. Because Satan is a powerful and clever enemy. The Bible talks about the schemes of the devil. Yeah, that's what he does. He, he's clever. You think you're clever. Uh, he, he's got a lot more experience on you. You have to develop a clear-headedness, meaning that you have to be in full possession of your faculties. You, you got to be like wide awake all the time. And, and Peter uses this word in other places in this letter. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 13, he, he says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. See, that's the kind of thing you have your, need to have your mind set on, eternity, so that you don't get sucked into the, the temptations of this world that Satan's running before you. Chapter 4, verse 7, again, he uses this same, same word in, in talking about how to, how to think about the end of all things. He says, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Uh, so you, you want to be ready for the end of all things? Then you need to be sober-minded because you're going to need to be faithful in prayer. You can't be distracted by other things. So this is a big thing to Peter. It's also a big thing uh, to the Apostle Paul. Some of his letters contain the same idea. In, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verse 6, he says, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. A lot of people are, are in the dark. A lot of people are sleeping. Christians need to be awake to what's going on. In verse 8, he says, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. 
you got to be ready for battle at, at all times because the, the enemy, he, he's not taking vacations. you got to be ready all the time. Some of you have, have been on trips to Israel, and you know every citizen uh, in Israel is required to serve in the military at some point. And, and so a, a lot of the population is, is in the military, but you'll notice that even when they're off duty, uh, they've got their weapons with them. Because over there, you could be on duty like this, like they just found out recently. So it's a little disconcerting when you're, when you're eating in the kosher McDonald's there, and the guys at the table next to you eating their fries, they got their automatic weapons on the table. I don't know if I felt safe or scared, but uh, that's the idea. They are always ready. That's the way we need to be, because we have an enemy and he's just looking for opportunities, just looking for opportunities. In First Timothy chapter 3, we see this word used again, and here it's talking about those who would be spiritual leaders, elders, overseers, pastors in the church. And it says in verse 2, 1 Timothy 3, 2, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded. Uh, that's, that's high up there on the list. You've got to be sober-minded. And when it talks about the women in the, in the church, in verse 11, it says, Likewise, they must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded and faithful in all things. The call is for everybody to be alert, to be watchful. 2 Timothy 4, 5, he says, As for you, Always be sober-minded. Always be sober-minded. If we're going to resist the enemy, we got to have our eyes open. we got to be on the alert. we got to be awake. And if you go back to 1 Peter 5, he uses a second word that is similar. He says not only be sober-minded, but be watchful. Be watchful. Be careful. Be alert. You've got to be morally and spiritually alert all the time. You need to be vigilant because we're told that the enemy is always on the prowl. You need to watch your relationships. You need to watch your surroundings. You need to be careful. You can't allow any time for spiritual slackness. Or I'm just going to take a little spiritual break here because that, that just sets you up uh, for, for Satan. Uh, there's a couple of times where this word is used. Our Lord used it in uh, Matthew 26, uh, verse 40 and 41. Uh, you know, he went into the garden to pray, took P Peter, James, and John with him, and then he went a little further and he prayed. And he told them to, to pray, to watch and pray. And he came back and uh, he had to interrupt their prayer meeting, right? No, he, he had to wake them up. He had to wake them up. And it says in verse 40, he came to his disciples, found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, so could you not watch? Could you not watch with me one hour? 
Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. See, that there's the issue. Satan's going to run all kinds of temptations your way. Uh, you got to watch and pray or you will fall into them. He says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yeah, you got to overcome your weak flesh. you got to discipline yourself to watch, be on the alert. In Acts chapter 20, Paul's talking to the leaders of the church in Ephesus, and he's given them a lot of instruction. And one of the things he says, he warns them that there's going to be people coming into the church who are going to cause trouble. People are going to come in and, and teach things that aren't true. And so he says in verse 31, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. you you got to be alert. It's not just out in the world where Satan's at work. He's at work in churches. You can't come to church thinking you're safe. Because uh, Satan, he, he, he's at, he shows up at church. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. You might be familiar with part of this verse, but the, but the whole thing says, says this. You need to hear this. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 says, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men and be strong. Now, you know the act like men part. You probably heard that. But it starts off by saying, be watchful. Be watchful. If, if we are to resist the enemy, then we have to remain watchful, always on the lookout for his attacks. I remember talking to a guy one time, he had just bought a motorcycle, and we're asking him, how, how is it getting around on the motorcycle? And he says, man, you got to have your head on a swivel because you're pretty vulnerable out there, and uh, if, if anything happens, you're going to be the one that gets hurt the most. And so you got to have your head on a swivel. you got to be alert. you got to be watchful. Exactly. That's what we need to be. You need to have your head on a swivel, spiritually speaking, uh, ready and watching and alert. You know, some of you know uh, Matt Rare, or you've heard of him. He wrote the book Redeeming Memory, and uh, his dad used to serve here at the church. His family, his mom, dad, and two sisters were tragically killed in, a, in an accident, and Matt Rare has written this really good book on redeeming memory, and I think the Spanish ministry here is supporting it getting translated into Spanish. Am I right? Amen. That's, that, that is exciting. Uh, Matt Rare, he told us, you know, when he was writing this book, he would approach publishers and they would say, uh, we like your stuff. We like what you're writing. This is good material, but who are you? Nobody's ever heard of you. It's hard to sell books of people nobody's ever heard of. So that their counsel to him was, you need to build a social media platform. So like if you get 5,000 followers on Twitter, well, then, then we can talk. And so he, he really didn't want to do that. But the way you do that is you start following all kinds of people, hoping that they will follow you back. 
and you build your, your, your platform by, by doing that. And during that time, he would put all kinds of interesting stuff on his Twitter account, so if people checked out who is this guy, maybe they would follow him back. Eventually, he built his platform, he got the book published. But now, when somebody I don't know shows up wanting to follow me on Twitter, I say, I'm not helping you write your book. <laughs> I, I, I'm, not, I'm not letting you follow me. And that's the way we need to be with Satan. We need to be on the lookout. Hey, Satan, we're not going to let you do your thing here. And I know you just went through, uh, you, well, you're going through Ephesians 4. Uh, how long have you been doing that now? Three years? Something like that? <laughs> That's just one chapter in the book, you know. But uh, you went about the verses about don't, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And the next verse is one of the scariest verses in the Bible. And don't give the devil an opportunity. Because that's all he needs. You, you want Satan to destroy your family? Just don't resolve conflicts at your home. And then you might as well just open up the door, roll out the red carpet, and say, Satan, come on in and do whatever you want to do. Don't give him an opportunity. You need to be watchful. You need to be alert. But Peter says more than that, that's one thing. Going back to the text there, the second half of verse 8 says, Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Uh, second thing you need to do is you need to understand how the enemy attacks. How he attacks. Look at how he's described. He's an adversary. That's a word that's used of a of an opponent in a lawsuit. And, and your adversary is very, it's very specific to you. It's not just the, the adversary. No, he's your adversary. He's after you personally. He's not just after things in general. No, he's after you. He wants to get you. And he's called the devil, which uh, you could translate that word as a slanderer. In fact, some places in the New Testament, that word is used as, translated as slander. He's a slanderer. He knowingly and deliberately advances false charges against men and God. He's a liar. Uh, John 8, 44, Jesus said he's a liar. He, he's been a liar from the beginning. He's the father of lies. He's a liar. He is not going to tell you the truth. He's going to make promises that will never come true. And he prowls. It's an interesting word. It, it, it tells us that he's full of restless energy, and he's always searching for more victims. He's constantly on the prowl. In fact, in Job chapter 1, when God asks Satan, where have you been? He says, well, I've been walking up and down and back and forth on, on the planet, on earth. That's what he's doing. He's on the prowl. He, he never takes a vacation. And he's pictured as a roaring lion. He's like a roaring lion. That, that tells you he is ferocious. He is vicious. And he's hungry for more victims. Then, in fact, he is seeking them, actively, persistently searching 
for more victims. So what that tells us is that the devil is a hungry, vicious lion, always restlessly on the move, looking for someone to devour. This is why Peter gives this as such an urgent command to be sober-minded and watchful. You don't ever dare take the devil lightly. We need to be clear on how he comes after us. Uh, there's a lot of fantasy and fiction about how Satan operates, uh, but let's just look at what the Bible says. Uh, <laughs> Uh, he, he will try to afflict us. That's what he did to Job. He physically afflicted him. And, and apparently he can do that. But the good news for you and me is he had to have God's permission to do it to Job, right? Well, if he could get God's permission to do it to Job, what makes you think he couldn't do it to you? And he brings temptation our way. He's called the tempter. And when Jesus encountered him, it's recorded in Matthew 4, he's referred to as the tempter. And in 1 Thessalonians 3, when Paul's writing back to the Thessalonians and he's expressing his concern for how they're doing, he's concerned about the influence that the tempter may have had amongst them. So he brings temptation our way, but primarily the Bible tells us that he comes through two means. One means is he has this thing called the world system. The world system. Three times in the Gospel of John, Satan is referred to as the ruler of this world. The ruler of this world. And he has a system developed in this world to promote his ideas, his values. This system is described in 1 John chapter 2. Let's turn over to that. And just look at that, 1 John 2, verse 16. And by the way, at the end of 1 John, in chapter 5, verse 19, it says the whole world lies in the lap of the devil. 1 John 2, 16. Well, let's start in verse 15. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and here it comes, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So that's the description of this world system. It's built on the desires of the flesh. It's meant to appeal to what, what you would desire in, in your flesh. It's meant to appeal to your eyes, what you would want, what you would covet uh, for yourself and the pride of life, the things that make you feel like you're something special. That's how he comes at us. He, he has this world system. It's very alluring, very distracting, and it's meant to play off all of your desires and all of your weaknesses. You've got to believe that Satan knows your weaknesses, and he's got a system designed to take advantage of that. He's got snares and temptations that are endless. So that's one means that he uses this world system that he has developed and is fully functioning all the time all around the world. But he also uses false teaching. Satan is big time into religion. 
and he is big time into promoting false teaching. Just to give you one example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, I am afraid, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. See that? He's cunning. He's wanting to lead people astray through false words. And he's got his people inside the church promoting those ideas. And down in verse 14, well, in verse 13, it says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So just like Satan disguises himself uh, to look innocent, to sound appealing, so the people that do his work are, are the same way. They don't walk in here and say, hey, I got some false teaching I want to spread around here. What, when can I start teaching a class? Well, could I, could I get into the kids' ministry because I'd really like to start with them early? He is, he is all about that. And this all goes back, like it says, it talks about he, how he deceived Eve. Well, let's look at that in Genesis chapter 3 because what he did there is what he's doing today. You've got to understand how he comes and you've got to see it for what it is. This is the attacks of Satan against the truth. He's a liar. He's attacking the truth. And in Genesis chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Second Corinthians 11 tells us who that serpent is. That's Satan who's here to deceive Eve. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say... You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. So right there, he's questioning God's word. Is that really what the Bible says? Is that really what God says? You know, I, I know probably a lot of you are in fellowship groups, and so we have discussions in our fellowship group, and when we are trying to uh, talk through a particular thing, I've started saying to my group, who come from a variety of church backgrounds and have heard a variety of things out there, that I've started saying to them, now when you give your answer here, give us a Bible verse that supports your answer. Sometimes that makes it go even worse because now they start coming up with Bible verses that have nothing to do with anything we're talking about. And see, that's, that's exactly where Satan wants you to be. Is that what God really said? Is that what he actually said? He wants you to question God's word. And then it goes on in uh, well, verse 2. The, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So now he's gone from questioning what God said to denying what God has said. And that's what you'll hear from people today. They will deny that that's what God actually said. 
And verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And there he's implying that God's not really good. This instruction that he's given you, this command that he's given you, it's not really for your good. He's not all about your good. And so it's calling God's motives into question. That's what he does today. He's out to confuse people. He's out to get people questioning, is that what the Bible really says? He's out to get people to actually deny what the Bible says. And all you have to do is do a quick search on YouTube of well-known popular preachers in America today, and you'll hear all of that. And he will twist God's word. He will try to twist it. He, uh, when he tempted Jesus, you know, Jesus always responded by quoting scripture, which, by the way, you want to respond to Satan, you better be ready to quote scripture. You've you got to know what the Bible actually says and rightly apply it. And, and so if you look at Matthew 4, 6, you'll see, okay, Satan says, I can play this game too. And he qu- tries quoting a scripture, but he's misapplied it, uh, m- misinterpreted it, and, and Jesus sees right through it. But see, he will do that. Oh, you want to use the Bible? Okay, how about this? And he will cause you to have questions about what God is saying. You've you got to understand, and I know you know, 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed, comes from God, and it is what? What's, what's the first word, though? Profitable, which you could also translate sufficient. And see, that's the big thing that is always the, the fight today. Is God's word really sufficient for all of life? Because they'll say, this is a book that was written a long time ago. Things are, uh, you know, and people are a lot more, the problems we have now are a lot more complex than they used to be. And and so the Bible's just not enough to help people with the deep, complex problems that they have today. Well, so one of the things that's common nowadays is for a counselor to ask a person, what has happened to you? And if you've had some trauma in your life, which I don't know how many guys have had some trauma in their life. If you've had some trauma in your life, then you are a victim and you're not morally responsible. And they will say that kind of trauma that people are experiencing today and the things that they have to deal with, the Bible can't deal with that. Well, I don't know. The Apostle Paul seemed to have a pretty trauma-filled life. How, how, how did he keep going? Was God and God's word sufficient enough for the Apostle Paul? How about David? He's writing psalms in caves because the king wants to kill him. Sounds pretty traumatic to me. How, how, did, how did David keep going? And oh, by the way, at the very center of what we believe is a cross, which is traumatic. So for people to say, yeah, the Bible can't help people with issues and problems that we face today, uh, they, they are implying that 
God doesn't know everything. And the book he gave us isn't enough. And Satan is, is promoting that kind of a thinking. Your, your belief in and commitment to the sufficiency of Scripture will constantly be attacked, even within Christianity. So you've got to be watchful. You've got to be alert. You've got to know what the Bible says. You've got to be able to compare things uh, with what the Bible says. You've got to be able to read books, even Christian books, and be able to chew the meat and spit out the bones. But you have to know what the bones are. This is how he comes. And you may be sitting here today and you have added to God's word. You have added rules and commands to God's word that aren't in God's word. And you're calling things sin that the Bible doesn't call a sin. You need to be careful. We need to stick to just what does the Bible say. We're not going to add more rules to what the Bible tells us. Or you may have looked somewhere else. You may have looked to human wisdom for help rather than divine wisdom. It comes from God's word. You've got to understand Satan is out to get people and one way or another, whether it's through his world system or through his false teaching, he's trying to get at your thinking. He's trying to get at how you think about things. That's where he wants to attack the most. So that leads us to the third answer that Peter provides for us back in 1 Peter 5, verse 9, where he says, resist him firm in your faith. Do any of you have a Bible translation that says firm in the faith? You have the divinely inspired version. There's a definite article there. Sometimes it can be translated the. Sometimes it can be translated your. It all depends upon the context. And the context here is to be watch out, uh, watchful for Satan's lies and deception, and so the way you stand firm is with the faith, which is a reference to the truth, the truth of God's word, the revealed truth of God's word. So we resist not only by being watchful and by understanding how he attacks, but we must be firm in the faith. And standing firm there, that's a very strong word. It's like unyielding granite. You've got to stand firm on the revealed truth of God, and you do that by knowing it, by defending it, and by living it. And see, this is where some people get these goofy ideas. You don't stand firm by binding Satan. Hey, if you can bind Satan, would you just do it like once for all so, so people aren't keep doing it every day? Or by rebuking Satan like he cares what you say, you got to take your stand on God's word. We live in a day uh, of mindless, <coughs> mystical, experience-oriented Christianity. It's all about the feels. It's all about how I feel about things. That, that approach isn't going to stand up against the devil. We've we got to stand 
firm. We read that in uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Let's look at the passage in Ephesians 6 and, and just see how Paul says it there. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. which says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Is his might strong enough? Okay, so like four of you are on board with that. Is, is his strength enough? Amen. Yeah. His strength is enough. Stand in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. There it is, the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand or resist, it's the same word, in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of what? truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And he goes on from there. We have to stand firm on what we know from God's word. So you got to commit yourself to knowing God's word. You need to know what it says. Uh, you need to, at some point in your life, you need to commit yourself to saying, I need to know what the Bible says, and I'm going to get serious about getting to know it. Uh, it's not going to ha happen if you just kind of lazily walk along. You've you got to make some strong commitments. And, uh, you know, there, I think a lot of us reach a turning point where that, that becomes the reality in our lives. When I was a young Christian, I, I attended a church, I was involved in a church pastored by a guy you might have heard of. His name was, is John MacArthur. He was a lot younger back then, talked really fast, and he had brown hair, believe it or not. There aren't many pictures from way back then. You know, pictures were in black and white back then. We were, this was long ago. We had to ride our horse and buggy to church. But anyways, <laughs> uh, uh, and I'm leading the Bible study, and you know, we'd talk about, we'd go through a book of the Bible in our Bible study, we'd talk about things, and if we reached kind of an impasse, I could always say, well, you know, Pastor MacArthur says, and that would kind of resolve the thing, and we'd move on. Well, then we moved uh, to an area further south in Southern California, and we started going to a church where there were people there who had never even heard of this guy, John MacArthur, and others who had heard of him and didn't agree with some of the stuff he said. So my, my, my ace up the sleeve of, well, you know, John MacArthur says that's not working anymore. So I had to decide for myself, do I believe this because John MacArthur told me so, or because this is what the Bible really says? And everybody has to get to that point. you got to get to the point where I just want to know what the Bible says. And, and it's amazing in this fellowship group that we have where we have people who have been going to church for decades, but 
they've been in churches where they haven't got a lot of good, solid, consistent teaching, and we talk about something, and I just read a verse or two that answers the whole question, and they go, wow, you're just like reading the Bible to us. You should try it. You should try it. It's good. You just got to read it, but you got to make sure you're understanding it. And you're not pulling things out of context. You got to be careful. You got to know it and you got to believe it. You got to be committed to it. You got to be committed to all the commands of the Bible, to all the warnings that are in the Bible, to all the revelation that it gives us about God and eternal realities. Because it is primarily a revelation of God, it's about God and you want to know him. And that's why you're studying the Bible, not just so you can fight against the devil, so, so that you can know God. Let's turn over to 1 John again, chapter 2. And let me show you something from uh, uh, verse 14 that ties into this. He's addressing different groups within the church that represent different levels of spiritual maturity. And at the second half of verse 14, he's addressing the young men. And I want you to hear what he says. He says, I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. See, that's where we all want to be. We want to be strong in the Lord, and that's because the word of God abides in us. It dwells in us. It's at home within us. The word of God abides in my life in an unhindered and welcome state. Whatever God's word says, that's what I want to hear, and, and I'm going to welcome it. I'm not going to argue against it. I'm going to receive it and believe it and, and act on it, and, and he says, that because of that, you have overcome the evil one. You're no longer caught by his traps because you know the word of God and you can see through it. That's where we need to be. We need to stand firm uh, and resist in the faith, the truth of God's word. The word's got to dominate your thinking. The word's got to dominate your words. The word's got to dominate your actions. That's the idea of having the word of God abide in you. And this is how we resist the enemy, by maintaining a watchful eye, by understanding how he attacks, and by being firm in the faith. Firm in the faith. In James 4, 7, it says that if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Does that sound good? He will flee from you. He hates it when you know the truth. He hates it when you stand on the truth and when you live out the truth because you're not giving him any opportunity to do what he wants to do. He can't stand to be there where you are because he can't do his wicked, evil, lying work there. And I say, good. Let's not give him a beachhead. 
to attack your life, your family, your church. Let's not provide an open door for him in any way. Let's stand firm in the faith. Let's resist the enemy. That's what we need to do. And if you've got a church full of men like this who will do exactly that, uh, God will greatly bless and use this church, and you'll continue to see things, see what he can do through a church that's fully committed to him and resisting all the attacks of the devil. Does that sound good? All right. So I'm ending early because I told Tommy he'd be home in time for the Penn State-Ohio State game. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I try to be a good guest. So let me, uh, yeah, did, was there a question back here? That, that's right. That, that's part of standing firm in the faith is that if we're going to do what the Bible says, that means that we talk to each other about the truth, and we encourage each other to walk in the truth. We correct each other when we're not in the truth. That's what that goes. Oh, are we having Q&A here? Okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Tomorrow, what's tomorrow? What am I speaking on tomorrow? Oh, okay, yeah. All right, I'll do that. All right, well, it's a real pleasure to be here. It's great to see all of you guys. This is exciting for me. Let me, let me pray. Lord, we are thankful to be here this morning and to hear your word. Lord, we recognize that there is a real enemy, and he is powerful. He is on the prowl. He is out to devour, to destroy. Uh, he doesn't want to just win. He's out to dominate. And we need to be, we need to be aware of that. We need to be on the alert. We need to understand how he comes at us, and we need to know your word. So Lord, I'm thankful for these men and their interest in and their commitment to your word. I pray that you'll continue to help them to grow in their understanding of, of not only the word, but of you and your son, and that they will be fully equipped to stand firm and to resist the enemy. Uh, Lord, so I give you thanks for these men, to give you thanks for this time, and pray that this ministry and, and, and uh, the, all the things that are going on here will equip these men to resist the enemy and to stand strong for you. So Lord, we give you thanks in our Savior's name. We give you thanks for your word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.